Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. seated, but I want to turn your attention to the book of 1 Samuel. I'm going to go to the 16th chapter and to the 10th verse, and when you land there, you're going to realize for some of you, this is already highlighted in your Bible. Some of the pages are probably already well-worn right here, but don't disconnect from me, would you? Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 10, the Bible says again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down until he come hither. You send somebody to get him and we're gonna stand until he returns. Amen, that'd be a good sermon title, wouldn't it? We're gonna stand until he returns. And he sent and brought him in. Now, talking about David, he was ready and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. I'm gonna give you my sermon title right now. It may not make all that much sense at this moment, but I wanna speak to you for just a few moments today. Do not forget his statutes. Do not forget his statutes. There's some things I gotta make up in my mind. I'm gonna remember this. There's some things I gotta hold on to irrespective of the climate of my world, the circumstances of my world. I do not want to forget his statutes. Concerning 1 Samuel 16, for those of you who are familiar with this passage of scripture, you know that God has told Samuel that he has rejected Saul as being king of Israel because of his sin of disobedience. And he said, but there is one. I've already got another one. And I want you to go anoint him. He is one of the sons of Jesse. And prior to our reading today, Samuel has gone to the house of Jesse and Jesse has brought out what he supposed would be the, the chosen one to lead Israel. And as they passed before Samuel one by one, even though they looked the part, some of them especially, he said, this is not he. And that's what led to the perplexing question because Samuel knew that God had sent him to this household. Samuel knew that God said, I need you to anoint one of the sons of Jesse. And so he said, are here all thy children? Is this all you have? And there remains one. Now the Bible, and so he said, go send for him and we're gonna stand. Uh, we will not sit down until he comes. So 
The Bible remains silent on who this nameless, faceless servant was that was sent to get David from the field. Apparently, that's a detail that just didn't matter. We have no idea what the conversation consisted of when the servant arrived to the shepherd's field in the presence of David. We don't even know if there was a conversation on the way back as they returned or if that conversation were taking place. We certainly don't know the content of that. We do know that verse 11, as I underlined a moment ago, Samuel said to Jesse, you send a servant to get him and we will not sit down until he comes back. Given the scene, if you will, given the scene of David and this servant returning now back to this, I pray that uh, when we read the scripture, we don't just read it with our eyes and just, but if you can just kind of pause and take your time in these passages of scripture, I want these verses to give me word pictures and I wanna give you word pictures today. But here they are standing. He said, we're not gonna sit down until you get back. And so here they return. And uh, now given the scene, I believe that there had to be a little bit of awkwardness in the air. Here's David walking up with this nameless, faceless servant. It would seem obvious to David that there has been a meeting called. He doesn't know the details of the meeting. He's obviously a latecomer to the meeting. And so when I read this passage of scripture, I just try to take it frame by frame and try to get a little picture here of what's going on. So here's his father, here's his brothers, and here is the man of God, Samuel, that are all standing together. Perhaps even in the atmosphere, there could have been a hint of the spirit of contempt as his brothers stared at him as he walks up because they already sense what's coming. They have been rejected and there's only one left. And Samuel has said, we're not gonna pause until he returns. And so there could have been very possibly a spirit of contempt that was in the air. David could have been asking himself why the tension and, and uh, what is the purpose of the meeting and why are they here and gathered. And then without notice, if we just read the scripture, Samuel stands because the Lord has spoken to Samuel and said, this is he and you need to anoint him. And so, and so Samuel stands and pours oil on David's head he did so because God had confirmed something in his heart. Moments ago, if we are David, if we are David, just put yourself in his sandals for a moment. Amen. Just moments ago, he was tending sheep. And now a beloved prophet had proclaimed that he would be the next king of Israel. What should have been the single greatest moment in the life of David to now was stifled by the spirit of disdain of his brothers. I believe there's little doubt in our minds that their response, their response to what God was doing in his life had to bring him a measure of disappointment. Can I ask today, is there anybody sitting here that's ever had disappointment 
come your way. Disappointment at the hands of others. Disappointment at the hands of strangers. Disappointment at the hands of friends and family. Sure, we've all been right there. What could and should have been a moment of celebration for David and his brothers in this families. What should have been a moment of approval. What should have been a moment of sanction. The youngest of the boys. The youngest of the siblings, no doubt. It was important what his older brothers thought about him. I was the youngest of our brothers, the youngest child in our family, and I certainly think it was important to me, especially growing up, what my older brothers thought about me. If they thought, if they thought I did a good job, that was very important. That was a, a, a very affirming thing. And so I can just put myself in the skin of David. Now, not only were they not happy about this, but there was a sense of disdain. It was it could have been a moment of affirmation, but it wasn't to be for David with what seems like very little fanfare if this plays out as we see it in Scripture. David just returns back, made his way back to the field, made his way back to the shepherd's staff, made his way back to the shepherd's responsibility. And so what? Now there's all kind of questions that have to be in the mind of young David. Well, what's the timetable on this kingship stuff? What is the timetable on all of this? Was, was, was he qualified for the task at hand? How was this going to be received? You see, what took place was a wonderful thing, but it was also a seedbed for questions. But they all seemed to go unanswered. Before David really knew what was going on, we don't really know how much time elapsed between that event and the next one that I'm about to mention. He is back tending sheep. He's doing what he's been doing for a long time. And it seemed that David would just tend sheep until the next call, which was soon to come. The scene of the next call must have been somewhat as before. David in the field doing shepherd stuff. When all of a sudden on the horizon, David can see one lone figure appearing off in the distance. It's another servant that's coming and it's another summons he has in his hand. This time it is not to come before Samuel, but this time it is to come before Saul because he had heard about David that could play his heart and the sweet spirit of God that would move as David played his heart. And Saul was a troubled man. And when he heard about David's ability to play the heart and to bring down the presence of God, Saul said, go and get him. I want him. It seems clear from scripture that there was an instant bond, at least initially, between Saul and David. First Samuel 16 and 21 seems to frame this subject pretty well in our mind. And David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. In just one moment of time, David becomes the armor bearer for the king Saul. However, this too would be a relationship with a time stamp. This too would be a relationship that would bring on the heels of it a spirit and a sense of disappointment. He had not been asked to be loved by the king. He had not been asked to be summoned by the king. He had not been asked to be the king's armor bearer no more than he had asked to be anointed the king of Israel. And then he certainly did not ask for Saul to ultimately hate him but that's how it all seemed to work out 
again. Another disappointment in the life of David. You're gonna have to deal with it. We're gonna have to reconcile this somehow. I've gotta compartmentalize this. I've gotta place it in my heart. I can't ignore it. It's a reality. I've got to deal with it. In time, if you study the life of David, we understand that he would have many more opportunities to be disappointed along the way. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just those around him that disappointed him, but in time, David would even disappoint himself. Somewhere along the way, David ran off the rails. He got out out of bounds. He, he got out off track somewhere in his mind and in his heart. This man that the scripture declares was a man after God's own heart. He went down a path that would lead to his near demise when David should have been in battle many of you know this scriptural setting when he should have been in battle he found himself on the rooftop and what seemed like an elevated position was really just a setup for a downfall David's life after this event began to spiral out of control it was now not just adultery but now it was murder it was the murder of of his best friend. It's his life. His The pieces are jagged. The pieces are falling apart. But it all came into focus one day. It all came crashing down one day. For a while there was only a few that knew what was going on. But in time God began to stir the heart of a prophet by the name of Nathan. In a moment of time David found himself staring at the end of that prophet's finger. Amen. This time this man named David wasn't summonsing him to anoint him. He wasn't being summoned to the king's house to play his heart but he was staring at the end of that bony finger. Amen. Behind that finger were the words, crushing words when Nathan Nathan said thou art the man. Thou art the man. The rebuke. The reality. The ramifications. It was the message of Nathan. A message that was waiting a message that was crushing almost more than David could bear. David staggered under the weight of his own failure, but somehow, some way, David kept walking. I just want to pause now. Amen. I don't want to sound trite here, but I just want to pause now and say thank you, David. Thank you, David, for keeping on walking. Thank you for walking through your disappointment. Thank you for walking through your discouragement. Thank you for walking when others disappointed you. Thank you for walking when you disappointed yourself. Thank you somehow for getting up and pressing on. I'm glad today that I've got people in my life. I'm glad that I've got people surrounding me today that have taught me I don't just have to go to this book. I don't just have to go to this book and read a historical account, but I'm glad I can go put my hand on the shoulders of men and women who said I've been hurt, I've been disappointed, I've been disillusioned, but somehow they just stood up under the face of all of it and they just kept walking they didn't forget the statutes of the Lord can we clap our hands together amen we can find several snapshots of David's journey throughout scripture the scriptures in and of themselves make no effort 
to highlight David at his best and at his worst. No one glosses it over. No one tries to minimize. Nobody tries to say, well, he did this, but, but it's just there. In glaring detail, we see him at his finest and we see him at his worst. Yet in the midst of all of this, he maintains his faith in God. One such place, and this is the context of my text today, is Psalms 119 and verse 81. The Bible says the utterance here of David, my soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Amen. Now there's two different things there. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but my hope, but I hope in thy word. Verse 82 says, my eyes, mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, when wilt thou comfort me? Verse 83 says, for I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. Now, I don't want to scare you with what I'm about to say, but I don't want to take just a moment, a few moments with each of these scriptures right here because I believe in each of them there are some powerful nuggets of hope and direction for us all. In verse number 81, the scripture says, My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Amen. I want you to understand, if you will, the paradox that we have before us in this one passage. Amen. David said, I am fainting, but I am hoping. <laughs> Amen. There is something staggering inside of me, but underneath all that discouragement, there is something called hope. I still hope in you. The weight on my shoulders is pressing me into the ground. The discouragement and the struggle of my life is pressing me into the earth, but I'm gonna tell you that beneath all of the tears and beneath all of my discouragement and beneath all of my moments of being disillusioned, there is something called hope. There is something called hope in my life. I'm gonna tell you today, I'm preaching to men and women in this building and I'm preaching to those who will watch us by way of internet. Amen, you have walked through miles that you didn't know if you would survive or not and what kept you going was it because you were so shrewd. It wasn't your last name. It wasn't your spiritual pedigree. But what kept you going is you said, but I have hope. I've got hope in the word of God. I've got hope in his word. I came to the house of God on Sunday and what I felt amid everything was the spirit of hope. I came to the house of God on Wednesday night and I was so heavy and I was so weighted. I didn't know if I could make it another mile. But I found hope. I've got hope. I may be fainting on the outside, but there's a hope in my heart that keeps me pressing forward. Yes, 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 yes. I have hope. I have hope. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. 
But I'm going to tell you, I could call some modern names. I could call some contemporary names. I could call some names in this house today. I could call some names that are sitting in this very building this morning that when it seemed like all hope was gone, you held on. When it seemed like life was going to blow you into a million pieces, you just kept going. It's not because you have wider shoulders. It's not because you have a greater love for God. It's not because your heart is bigger. Amen. But somewhere you didn't lose hope. You were fainting, but you had hope. You were fainting, but you had hope. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. We envision here no, again, no pain to try to paint this in a different color. No pain to try to shine this, hold it at a different angle. There's no games being played here. Amen. Brother Osborne in our first service mentioned about things sometimes not being as they are advertised. I remember several years ago, my wife and I were in a mall in another state and walking through the mall and uh, the Bose company had a little store set up there and you could go back into that room. They had all kind of speakers and things set up and you could sit down and you could just live the Bose experience. <laughs> I don't know if I just happened to run across a disgruntled employee that, or an employee that was disgruntled enough to be, you know, Bose makes a wonderful product. I'm not here to discount that. But he may have just been having just a bad enough day to share something with me. He said, now, sir, let me, let me tell you something. He said, don't think that you're going to take this home and get this same exact experience. We have engineers that have spent tens of thousands of dollars to get everything just right. It's the greatest of wire and it's the greatest of everything. You can buy all this stuff, but you see this room is designed to capture you. It's not all as it appears. And so what we have before us today is not someone trying to hold David up and get him just right in the light and, and say, now, you know, this is David at his worst, but you know, if you see here, if you, you got it just right, everything seems all right. No, we've got David with dirt in his face. We've got David with discouragement running knee deep in his heart and his life. Amen, what a powerful word picture. He said, I'm fainting, but I'm hoping. I'm fainting, but I'm pressing. I'm weary, but I'm walking on, hallelujah. We envision a wearied David with his back bowed against the backdrop of his own life struggles, yet there is a pressing in his heart, a pressing in his spirit, a pressing like we would hear and read and see in the life of the apostle Paul when he said, I press toward the mark of the high calling. I'm pressing, I'm pushing. His hands were withered, but his faith was strong. Hallelujah, because he said, I am not gonna forget the statutes of the Lord. Verse 82, the Bible says, Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? My eyes have stared so long, I've looked so hard until my eyes fail, my eyes fail. 
Admittedly, his eyes were strained from, from, from watching for just some small evidence that God was there, just some small hint that the Lord would, main, would, would somehow sustain him, just some hint. But he said, my eyes fail. When are you gonna comfort me? When will I get a word from the Lord? I believe I'm preaching to people today that have heard your friends and family and your peers get up from a service and say, oh, that word, was just for me today when we went home saying when am I going to get a word when is a word coming to my house amen you've heard people get up and perhaps you've even heard me share times where somebody called me at a low ebb and said I just want you to know the Lord laid you on my heart and I've been praying for you today you may have heard that and rejoice with me but in your heart you ask yourself when is that going to happen to me when will my phone ring when will the mailbox hold a letter in my that is addressed to me? When? When is it going to come my way? Hallelujah! But I'm going to tell you. He said, "When? Even though my eyes are weary, even though my eyes are failing me, even though my ears have not heard what I want to hear, I'm going to keep pressing. I'm going to keep leaning. I'm going to keep walking. I've got news for you today, everybody that's here. They're not here this morning because everything is right in their life." They're not here because everything's going well with them, but they're here because they woke up this morning with just a little glimmer of hope, and that hope was enough. That hope was enough. It's faith in action. That's what that is. When we get to verse 83... This is where we pause. It's here we read, For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. Another translation of this same verse says, For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Now the powerful truth of this verse is so easily overlooked. And to be honest with you, I've overlooked it until this week. But in our, my early morning prayer and Bible reading, I came across this passage of scripture and something just caught me. And I went back and I read that. It was such an unusual wording. The powerful truth of this verse, I think, can so easily be overlooked because we read the word bottle. But the bottle of that day was a vessel made of skin, the common container. You would not put new wine in old wine skins. They were leather vessels, bottles, if you please. And if the bottle were empty, you had more on your hands than just the fact you had an empty vessel. But the bottle now, because it was of skin or leather of some sort, is now susceptible not only to the things that were inside, but now is susceptible to the things on the outside. And so David uses the term smoke, but we could easily use the term heat. The heat of the everyday elements of life had a way of causing that bag to wither. Not only was there 
no content. Everything had been emptied out of the vessel. But if you lay the vessel in the smoke, or if you lay the vessel near the fire, the vessel itself becomes weary and shriveled up. Amen. I want to tell you today that in the smoke or in the heat of the everyday elements of life, if we are not careful, they have a way of draining us. Amen. You don't have to get up and run the aisles right now if you don't want to, but it doesn't take away from the fact that just sometimes living life has a way of just draining, just pulling down, just pulling down. You don't have to have some calamity to happen. You don't have to have something that keep, puts your name on the front page of the newspaper. It can just be the chipping away the pecking away, the daily cares of life. Amen, not, not in denial of this. David the psalmist declares that he was dried up of sorrow. He was dried up from suffering, some from the undoing of others and some of his own undoing. Amen, somehow life had just gotten him to the place that he said, I just feel from the heat and the smoke of the day that I am a withered bottle. However, there's something powerful that is right and the dust of this situation that I think ought to bring hope to us all because David said, I am like a bottle in the smoke, yet I do not forget thy statutes. Amen, I may be down, but I am not out. I may be weary, my faith may be frail. I may not be jumping as high as I have jumped in times past, but I have made one thing up in my mind. I'm gonna hold on to your statutes. I'm gonna remember the truth of your word. I'm gonna hold on to what you have given me in the midnight hour. I am not gonna back up. I'm not gonna sit down. I'm gonna rise. I'm gonna rise. I will not forget thy statutes. Thy word, thy word, thy word, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin that I might not sin against thee thy word hid that word in my heart hallelujah I'm thankful for this word but I'm also thankful for the rhema word that God brings in our life because God doesn't speak anything that contradicts this word but God does speak things that go beyond this word amen God has a way of showing up in our lives and just speaking something it wasn't in Acts it wasn't in the book of Thessalonians it wasn't a word from Proverbs. It wasn't a word from Deuteronomy, but the Lord said, in your current circumstance, I need you to remember something. My, my, my. I'm just gonna lean back on what we've heard preached already today. That you can't, you, a man with an argument is not at the mercy of somebody with an experience. Amen, I'm telling you that God has spoken to me. God has given me his word about certain things and I'm gonna tell you from that moment heaven turned to brass 
and God never talked about it again. I don't care how many times I went back to the prayer room and said, hey God, my eyes are fainting. My eyes are straining. I don't hear your word again. I don't know. Lord, you said something to me years ago, but you've gone silent on me now. Amen. The Lord has just kind of got his arms folded if you don't mind. Amen. God is saying you need to remember that. You need to hold on to that. You need to trust me in this. And so what I've got now is a mandate on my life. I got to get up and go when I don't feel it. I got to get up and go when I don't understand it. I got to get up and go when it's not convenient. I got to get up and keep walking. I just got to keep going because I can't forget the statutes of the word. I can't forget the statutes of God's word. I got to hold on. I got to hold on. I've got to hold on. I've got to hold on to it. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you in this very building have heard me say through the years to you personally, standing in the aisle, in a restaurant perhaps, even in, in a formal counseling in our office, when God had given you a promise. I've used this illustration, I'm not sure why it ever popped in my head years ago, but it did and I've used it and I've used it again and again and again. And I've said, if God made you that promise, that was a deed to a parcel of ground. And there may be days that parcel of ground don't seem any bigger than that. But if God said it was yours, hold on to it. I gotta hold on to that. Amen, it don't seem like much right now, don't feel like much some days, but God told me, God told me. Now if you know me, you know I don't go around saying the Lord said. All the time. I'm not ashamed of that and God does speak to me but I don't, I don't say that every time I get up the Lord told me 15 minutes ago and I'm gonna tell you the Lord has spoken some things to me through my life and I'm not kidding you when I tell you that God spoke up and then hushed up and see I was thinking we could be more like buddies <laughs> you know kind of go to lunch and let's just talk about that again every now and then. Even if you have nothing more to add, can we just talk about that again? That just don't seem to be his MO. He just says something. So I think David understands what he's writing. I am like a bottle in the smoke. I am empty on the inside. And I'm even getting withered on the outside. But in all this, I do not forget thy statutes. As trite as this may sound, life happens to us all. Our best laid plans have a way of unraveling. The young, inescapably, unavoidably get old. Part of life. <laughs> Somebody posted something recently. I may not have this exactly right on 
Twitter or Facebook or something about how strange it felt to be the same age as old people. <laughs> hmm. It just happens. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to have a prescription for it. It just happens. We become like bottles in the smoke. That much is inevitable. But the good news for us all is found in the second portion of that verse, yet I do not forget thy statutes. David earlier in this same chapter would pen words similar. 119 verse 62, David said, the bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. I opened the storehouse and everything I had was gone because I was robbed. But they didn't rob me of remembering your statutes. And so David said, because of that, the next verse at midnight, I don't necessarily know if he was talking about a timepiece, but at midnight I will rise and give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. At the darkest hour of my life when I feel like I have been robbed and all things in my life taken, I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna give you thanks because of thy righteous judgments. Maybe, perhaps, supposed, this is where Paul and Silas got that energy, that strength. Acts 16 and 25 and at midnight in a prison, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Was it because they were superhuman? No, but as they remembered his statutes. They remembered the word of the Lord. I know you've heard it from others and from me as well, but how do you think Simon Peter, when he was sentenced to die at daybreak, snuggled up between the guards and went sound asleep? I'll tell you how, because he wasn't thinking about the sentence at daybreak. He was remembering the word of the Lord that said, Simon, you're gonna be old and somebody's gonna have to lead you around by the hand. Somebody's gonna have to help you. And Simon looked around and said, I'm not there yet. I don't know what's gonna happen between now and daylight, but I'm gonna hold on to thy statutes. Amen. I'm going to hold on to thy statutes. I realize that we often focus on the fact that the prisoners heard them. The scripture says that. The prisoners heard them singing. But I'm going to tell you, I rise this morning to say that God also heard them. He was listening when they raised their voices loud and clear. And it might have been midnight. It could have been midnight on the clock, but it was certainly midnight in their life. But something was steadfast and unmovable in their heart. And that was the truth of God's word. It seems that dimming eyes and slower steps are an unavoidable part of the journey. That said, I want to intentionally lay claim to the second portion of that verse. Because you see, the condition of the vessel won't matter. <laughs> if I have that treasured word woven tightly in my heart. Life can furrow our brow and time can gray our hair and circumstances can slow our pace. But none of these things can steal our faith in God. I wanna ask our musicians to come, if you will. Life just has a way, certain things just gonna happen. Yes, sir. 
under normal circumstances unless you had something to impair your vision from birth or genetically somewhere around the age of 40 people are unfairly going to start typing things smaller They do it without announcing it. They don't ask your permission. The same newspaper you've been getting for years, same magazine, same books you've been buying. You get in your 50s and you're going to see that all of a sudden out of nowhere as people around you start mumbling. They no longer feel compelled to speak clearly. Happens. will tell you today that there is a certain spirit of weariness in our world. There's a spirit of weariness in our world. Now, I'm not one to try to blame everything on COVID-19 that has certainly affected all of us. And I, I too, am tired of weary with some things. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm tired after a year. I think I would have it a little more down pat by now. I'm tired of getting all the way to the door of a business and realizing I left my mask in my truck. I get my steps in because half of my steps are going after that. But that's not the weariness I'm talking about. There's a deep weariness in our world. We're trying to navigate through challenging times. Daniel 7.25 talks about the enemy wearing out the saints of the Most High. Now, don't feel compelled to correct me after church. I realize that he is, the inference here is to the tribulation. But I do believe that we're living in an antichrist age. And the enemy is working overtime to wear out the saints of the Most High. And I'm going to tell you today, there's been a common thread through the ministries this day. What this man just got up and spoke about is so true that there are parents in this church and churches all across our fellowship, our nation, around our world, that are just weary, weary with so many things. There are adults that have been faithful in serving God that all of a sudden we're just letting go. Just tired. We need to understand what we're fighting. 
We need to understand what we're facing. This is what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to give up. He wants you to be worn out. He wants you to say enough is enough. Because you see, if you get tired enough, you'll develop the attitude that close enough is good enough. You ever started out on a project around your house, you're doing everything just right, but as the day gets on, as the day wears on, as the energy starts draining, after a while, we're not as conscientious as we were. We don't have to get right in the corner, right in the crack, right in the crevice. We don't have to clean everything just quite light because we're weary. And I'm telling you, there's a spirit of weariness loosed in our world. And it is against the saints of the most high because we have a message. We have a message. The scripture talks about, let's stand. The scripture talks about two men. One man is given a message and he says, you take this message and you run with it. Another man is standing there that has energy and he just wants to be a part of something. He said, can I run also? He said, well, why would you run? You don't have the message. I know, I know I don't have the message, but I just want to run. I just want to go to you. Can I run? Can I run? Can I run? Can I run on. But here's the tragedy. The man without the message overrun the man with the message. Can, I, can the church get what I'm saying today? Amen, don't get weary in well-doing. If we, if, we don't get, if we don't get weary in well-doing, amen, we won't faint. And if we won't faint, we're gonna receive what God has given us. I don't want somebody without the message to outrun the church with the message. And so I gotta fight. I gotta push and press against the spirit of weariness. Amen, amen. I love the Lord today, I really do. I love him with all of my heart. 1989, 1989, I had the privilege of assuming the pastor to this church that at that time was nearly five decades old. Several of the charter members, if we would say, certainly older seasoned saints were still alive attending service. Yes, their steps had slowed. Their eyes had dimmed, their hearing had faded. But something that had not changed was the faith in their heart. There was something convincing in their spirit when they sang words like, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. There was truth to what they were saying, but it was grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace is what's gonna lead me home. There was something in those words. They weren't, they weren't just reading that out of a hymnal. It was etched in their heart. They had lived it. They had lived it. I feel like the Spirit of God wants to solidify some things in our heart here today. Can you love him where you are today? If you wanna step out of your seat and come down to the front, whatever you wanna do, I believe we ought to say, Lord, I don't wanna forget your statutes. I may be fainting, God, but I've got hope. My eyes may be strained and even growing weary, but I'm searching for a word and I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna hold on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. 
Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. <laughs> 